Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, my name is Xin Yong Liu. I'm an associate professor uh, of mechanical engineering uh, at the University of Toronto in Canada. So uh, my uh, my research uh, interest in soft robotics, uh, my research interests are including uh, soft robotics and also uh, microfluidics, um, those two areas. Mm-hmm. So I would like to go back. What is the first robot you built? And what is the feeling you had when you built this robot? Sure, that um, that's, that was back to my uh, master research uh, at the Harbin Institute of Technology in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, at the time, I developed a high-speed uh, planar parallel robot, uh, mainly for uh, industrial applications such as MAMS packaging and also uh, high-speed pick and place. So. Um, it is a uh, my real major interest is on the design and the modeling and control of this robot, mm-hmm. and finally we push this uh, robotic system to a local uh, MAMS manufacturer plant uh, for testing. So uh, I was quite pro- I mean excited about uh, the, this development because that's my uh, first robotic product. And uh, especially uh, both the prototype uh, we developed, which uh, has been used uh, in the practical uh, industry, and also uh, the fundamental understanding of the model, uh, the modeling and the control part. Mm-hmm. So since then, I have been always passionate about uh, both design and control of uh, different type of robotic systems. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I would like to ask you how you make this transition from rigid robotics to soft robotics. How you find this transition between... Sure. That's actually an interesting story because uh, after my master degree on this conventional rigid body robots, I actually moved to Toronto, uh, actually my current department, uh, for my PhD research under Professor Yusan. My PhD research is more on uh, micro-robotic um, microrobotics or robotic micromanipulation of single cells uh, for uh, biological problems, like uh, to biological studies. Mm-hmm. But during this case, because we have we handle single cells, uh, so we have to develop some microfluidic systems or devices to do uh, some preparation for the robotic system. So that's really where I got to know more about those compliant soft materials like PDMS um, for manufacture. Uh, uh, micro devices, and after my PhD, I kind of got more interested in that direction. So I, I moved to Harvard mm-hmm. for my postdoc with George Weisseis, and that was 2009. That is actually roughly the time where uh, this whole area got started under the Star uh, funding. So uh, in in the Weisseis lab, um, I was mainly working on uh, micro micro fluidic devices, but I, we had a lot of discussions within the whole group about uh, this soft robotics concept. And also, um, I had some uh, like uh, collaborations with some of the colleagues there. That's why uh, I got 
like uh, and also because my home my home society is in robotics so that's why uh, it's kind of a natural um like a development of this interest in soft robotics so after i started my own research group uh, we uh, i have a few students working on along this direction especially in the last few years uh, we have more uh, results coming out so now my group is uh, really expanding uh, on this direction in terms of the team and also products. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I would like to ask you, since you have this overwhelming experience in different labs, so, and recently you have your own lab, how you define soft robotics? When you working at a postdoc and now you have your own lab, do you think the same definition apply across different labs or they have different understanding or concept about soft robotics definition? I think as a community, as a new community, we kind of have a common consent about uh, the, what soft robotics means uh, from the robotics perspective. And also I'm a robotist. So um, I think the soft robotics is the sense and technology of soft body robots like made, uh, many, uh, constructed from compliant materials like uh, elastomers or other type of polymers. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, as a robotic system, uh, it has to include the major components, for instance, activators, sensors, and the control system. So, um, but of course, there are many different type of designs and the development in this area, but I think that fall into the scope of uh, general robotic definition. Mm-hmm. So, it's about nature, yeah. yeah. So what do you think the most important questions uh, that should be considered while we're doing soft robotics research in general perspective? Yeah, I think the most important, I think the whole area has been evolving in terms of uh, materials, designs, Mm -hmm. and and most recently uh, uh, modeling and control. I think not most recently, but since the very beginning, but I think uh, there are more and more people working on modeling and control of software bots. I think um, from a robotics perspective, uh, having those compliant materials and the structural designs to enable uh, uh, functional software bots is very important. But uh, uh, from my perspective, the fundamental understanding uh, for instance, the dynamic control, dynamic modeling and control mm-hmm. of, of robots. That's the most important question I would like to address. Mm-hmm. And mm. do you think, because Professor George Whiteside, he was in, the, in one of the episodes and he said that maybe the controller we have is just, maybe doesn't explode the di- linear dynamics of the robotics. And sometimes traditional or conventional controller is still not applied to the nature of soft robotics. How you read this uh, in soft robotics field in terms of understanding and control uh, algorithms we apply to soft robotics? I think first of all, the soft body robots uh, um, has its own inherent properties. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, highly long, non-linear, large deformations, and uh, uh, is not a typical. Uh, uh, joint uh, system uh, which we can build up uh, easily build up uh, kinematic and dynamic models. I think we do need to have uh, develop uh, uh, approaches or methodologies to establish models um, on to understand the dynamic the kinematics and dynamics of the system, and also uh, based on those uh, 
uh, inherited characteristics of the soft robot, we have to develop, um, we have to involve different type of controllers, for instance, uh, uh, adaptive controller and uh, nonlinear control, and also also like learning based control uh, to better uh, activate and control uh, those robots. I think in that sense, uh, we, did, we do need to have some uh, special um, proposed approaches for the modeling control of software bots. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, could you please tell us more about your research focus on soft robotics? What is your focus research now? Sure. Uh, my 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 ongoing research uh, in the in soft robotics, uh, like uh, along two lines. The first one is uh, we're developing soft and stretchable um, sensors uh, for soft robotics. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more a material-driven um, uh, direction. We have been collaborating with a few uh, material scientists to involve um, ionic hydrogels uh, to make a double network ionic hydrogels, uh, which is capable of uh, sense mechanical information such as deformation, pressure, force, also temperature and humidity, which are from the environment. I think uh, um, this, uh, along this direction, recently we developed a, a so-called artificial ionic uh, skin mm -hmm. made for double network hydrogel. So we give an acronym uh, AI skin, um, but AI means artificial ionic uh, skin. So this research actually we, 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 we developed for the first time uh, highly stretchable double network uh, hydrogel material system uh, integrating two layers of ionic hydrogels doped with positive, uh, separately doped with uh, positive and negative uh, polyelectrolytes. And then we sandwich those two layers together to form actually a, a dial-like material structure. So the interf at the interface of those two layers, um, the ion mobility is controlled actually by uh, the barrier, which is a um, which is a depletion area. So this area is kind of mimic the ion mobile, uh, mobile ions in our uh, neural cells, uh, mm -hmm. which is governing, which is responsible for uh, touch sensing, temperature and pressure sensing. So I think this is kind of a well inspired design, uh, which allow us to realize uh, multi-modal sensing on a highly stretchable and soft material. So um, along this direction, we are currently uh, trying to develop uh, more fabrication technologies, which allow us to easily uh, integrate multiple AI skin components in a stretchable skin. And, uh, and then we will apply this into soft, soft body design. So we have two ongoing products. One is we integrate uh, this type of sensors on a soft gripper, and then um, this gripper will allow us to uh, sense um, the mechanical and the environmental uh, information uh, during the operation. And also we collaborate with uh, uh, AI researcher uh, in our uh, Toronto uh, Vector Institute mm -hmm. uh, to uh, develop deep learning control strategies uh, for efficient and more dexterous uh, soft grasping. That's the first direction on stretchable sensors for soft robotics. And the second direction, uh, we are actually working on uh, variable soft robotic devices 
for many medical applications, uh, the first product is uh, is for um, patient rehabilitation. So, because uh, Toronto has a quite large um, rehabilitation institute, we have a big group of researchers there who uh, like deal with uh, patient uh, patient. Uh, treatment in terms of exercise and rehabilitation exercise. And also they do a lot of research on develop uh, wearable devices. So now we are collaborating with them uh, to uh, integrate our AI skin as a sensor, also some uh, soft activators to develop a soft robotic suit uh, to be used by a patient with a forearm um, uh, problems uh, for rehabilitation. So this is also ongoing. There's a new product uh, with uh, two um, rehabilitation groups and also a local company. So we hope uh, eventually we can do a full testing on multiple patients and we could possibly push this uh, into a product with the industrial collaboration. Oh, that's super interesting. I would like to go to back to AI scan because I think it's very interesting about how the hydrogel is, has this stretchability up to 400% compared to our skin 50%. First of all, I would like to ask you how, how in the research you make sure that this reaching this level, I, I mean, how the design before going to fabrication, how you make sure that this mechanism of hydrogen will not make failure and maybe cut or shred it. And, and I think this kind of limitation really we witness in, in some research is that hydrogel due to the mechanical properties, sometimes it fails and also maybe not stretching to the limit, expected limit. Mm. So how, sure. how you make this design consideration before? Uh, sure. Yeah. So this 400% uh, stretchability uh, is not something we invented. Actually, um, we involve a specific uh, type of hydrogels uh, called a double network hydrogel. Mm -hmm. uh, um, this is a specific hydrogel. Uh, we fabricate them through uh, two times of cross-linking of uh, two different hydrogel networks that are interweaved together. So uh, once you stretch it, actually one hydrogel will uh, will first uh, will under stretching. The one hydrogel will dissipate the energy more, but the other hydrogel will be able to maintain the structural integrity. So this is a um, is, there has been a minor type of development for double network hydrogel. Um, we actually uh, adopt one um, typical double network hydrogel material system. But I think our in innovation here is to to uh, dope the hydrogel with a specific poly uh, electrolyte to form it ionic, and also uh, the design of a double la layer of uh, double network hydrogels doped with uh, oppositely doped with a positive charged polyelectrolyte and an active charged electrolyte to form a, a ionic DEL at the interface. This DEL is the fundamental reason which enables us to do multimodal sensing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and for the deep learning, you mentioned about using for uh, to in, in, in grasping. So I don't know how you see the limitation or challenges of having like that's the question we have all the time because most of deep learning algorithm is like black box and and I don't know how, how you compromise between which level of understanding required to implement a soft robotic system in uh, using deep learning so how you mm. see this integration 
I think that's a very good question. Um, myself is not an AI uh, expert. Uh, I think my uh, our initial uh, intention is to um, assimilate, uh, is, is to uh, kind of take in uh, the sensing information from our AI skin um, in terms of strain, pressure, temperature, and also um, um, those are the informations we want to uh, take in into the model so that uh, that will allow us to um, get a more richer information about the object we are grasping uh, in terms of text, surface texture, softness, and also shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because uh, the soft gripper, because our AI skin is patentable on a hydrogel layer, we, we actually we are patenting uh, multiple uh, sensors on each individual fingers of the soft scraper. So this spatial information will be also uh, handled or processed by the uh, the learning model. Uh, and then the final overall goal will be, we hope we can gain more information through learning uh, mm-hmm. from those multimodal uh, sensor feedback. And then finally, that gave us a higher uh, dexter, uh, like a, a more dexterous uh, grasping operation. But in terms of uh, understanding the soft robotic system, uh, we haven't really thought about that very uh, thoroughly. I think there could be possibility of combining some sensing sensor materials into a simpler uh, learning model, which could help us to understand to make the, the soft robotic system. But for soft gripper, I think it is a relatively easy, a relatively simple uh, Robotics, uh, robotic system, uh, but for more complex one, it's possible to use those those sub models to understand it. But our overall goal is to um, uh, to still use the learning model as a black box, and then just to utilize its output uh, for better operation. Mm-hmm. So that's the current goal. But I think that's a very good question. We need to think about uh, uh, more carefully in the future. Yeah. So um, I would like to ask you what is the challenges you really want to solve in this AI scan project is like challenges or maybe limitation in terms of the product expected or maybe the technology. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of application you're expecting from AI scan rather than wearable technology. There's other potential application. And if you consider this application, what could be the challenges or limitation, do you think? Mm. About this asking, actually, we are looking into two possible types of applications. One is on soft robotics, I just mm. mentioned. Uh, I hope uh, those um, skin uh, sensors can be used for multimodal sensing on uh, soft robots. And also recently, I think in terms of uh, in order for this to realize this uh, uh, more reliably, uh, the major challenge uh, was on the um, fabrication and also the material stability parts uh, mm. of this material. Uh, for instance, um, in order for us to uh, configure uh, multiple sensors on a software robot, uh, we need to come up a, a tailored fabrication process for uh, easy uh, patterning on different parts of the software robot. And this has also been integrated with the fabrication process of the soft robot. Um, I think there are several possible ways of doing that, but now we are exploring a a very um, 
like an easy way of doing that is uh, we developed a surface chemistry recipe which allow our AI scheme to be uh, adhesive to multi types of materials. For mm -hmm. instance, for the typical PDMS and uh, Ecoflex, both are elastomers, yeah. we have a very uh, nice recipe which allow us to just attach the AI skin to any location of a soft robot um, and also with a very firm bonding. Uh, the firm bonding means uh, under like a 2% or 300% uh, stretching, yeah. uh, there no de delamination at all. I think that's not a complete fabrication uh, strategy, but uh, that really allows us to arbitrarily configure the location of those sensors. Mm -hmm. uh, another uh, line on fabrication is we are trying to um, develop uh, molding-based um, techniques to pattern um, those AI skin materials on any substrate with a relative high resolution. We're talking about a few millimeter a one or two millimeter patterning resolution. So with that, uh, our vision, we can realize, uh, also realize arbitrary configuration of the locations of those sensors. We can also achieve a high density integration of those sensors, for instance, to form a sensing array, uh, like a real uh, soft skin with, mm -hmm. with a good spatial resolution. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so yeah, that's one. Sorry, that's the first uh, application yeah. uh, possible application. The second possible application is uh, more on the wearable side, more, maybe not not directly related to um, like a, a software robot, but we are actually developing a, a wearable uh, AI skin based wearable bandage, which could allow us to attach to a, a, a wound mm. on the skin. I think that's more like a wound managing. Uh, integrating sensing about um, like a temperature sensor, strain sensor, and also a bowel sensor, because we can easily uh, my, my lab another direct another area in my lab is on microfluidic bowel sensor. So we actually we are utilizing our expertise in that area to integrate um, uh, some uh, reagents and also some micro channels onto those uh, AI skin structure, mm -hmm. and then that allow us to uh, sense. For instance, the pH level and also some uh, uh, biomolecules in the wound to better understand the wound healing process. So, but uh, but although it's uh, now it's still related, it's directly related to medical. But uh, you mentioned the the biosensor design on those AI skins will give us one more direction, one more uh, dimension uh, about the sensing capability on the, on the AI skin that could be also possibly used. Uh, on softer robots, which give the softer robots the capability of sensing chemicals or bio uh, molecules uh, from the environment. Mm -hmm. Very interesting point. And having said that, I would like to ask you because we know say that in the community, whether there's passive material and we apply techniques for actuation, like pneumatic maybe or or cable mm -hmm. or something like that, and other like I said, material driven. And I think that's why I would like to ask you, do you think, if we speak realistically, we have to uh, invest more in, in which direction recently? Because we, we also see some like living robot like Xenobot and, and incorporating some stem cell and, and to be in um, applicable of robotics and you interested and others interested in material driven. So do you think the other part of using passive material 
should we really investigate more in this direction or it is not applicable and to be having a real application in the longer term how how you see that if if you speak like the technology we we use in soft robotics <clears throat> i think you're talking about like a material driven uh, designs rather than uh, structural or um, uh, robotic driven designs Mm-hmm. I think that's my understanding about the question. I think uh, this whole area actually, I think, is um, is largely derived from um, inspirations of uh, novel usage of uh, soft materials. Um, but I think that's a, um, that has been a major driving force in the area. But I, uh, from my perspective, I think we have to we have to invest in both maybe not equally, but we have to pay attention to both directions. Um, because on material side, I do believe, and also we have witnessed uh, many examples of mm-hmm. these of designs uh, by uh, like de- developing or even intro- just introducing new materials into soft robotic design, which could um, make a better design of the soft body ro- structure and also uh, give more new functions of those soft robots. A recent example is uh, actually from a Cornell University, uh, from Rob Shepard's group, uh, yeah. uh, who developed a, a 3D printed soft gripper, uh, which can sweat to regulate its own uh, temperature. I think that's a kind of a simple level of intelligence uh, we add to the soft robots by material uh, invention. But on the other hand, we cannot own, we cannot just rely on material invention. I think we still have to address those fundamental questions uh, in terms of robotics. For instance, uh, new design of biomimetic or bio-inspired designs, and also the modeling and control of those robots. Um, and those are the more fundamental questions, but uh, moving towards practical uses or or maybe long-term wise mm-hmm. um, really allow everybody to use those type of soft robots in industry, at home, and uh, in uh, like hospitals. <clears throat> I do believe um, we need to invest uh, more efforts on the downstream engineering uh, issues we have to tackle because uh, there's so many labs developing uh, all uh, kind of novel uh, designs or soft, soft robotic systems. But in order to push those designs uh, to be practical, um, I believe we have to tackle the downstream uh, questions, for instance, reliable uh, mass, low cost mass production and uh, safety in terms of materials and also human, uh, like machine human interfacing, uh, like interaction. And also, um, I think uh, finding a niche for specific design in the market is also very important. Mm-hmm. So I think those questions are all um, all important for the area to move and to further grow and to eventually benefit our society. So I, I think uh, we have to pay attention to both materials and also robotics research, and finally, um, translation aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, mm. this is really beautiful. Yeah, you beautiful about it, this answer. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I would like to ask you about how do you see uh, understanding different language, 
because you work in conventional robots and later on and soft robotics, so you have the different expertise. But when you work in a project with material science and sometimes you need biology, how is this communication? Because most of the time is issue of the communication and understanding different language. It sounds to me a bit challenging. I don't know how mm. you would comment about that. I think uh, based on my experience, I have been working with uh, material scientists, uh, biologists, mm -hmm. and uh, like AI researchers, uh, and also uh, uh, recently electrical engineers. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we, especially between engineers and uh, biologists or um, other like uh, we we do have we do have different languages, but I think that my approach is always um, close and intimate collaboration. Uh, among different teams, so that's why I always encourage my students to uh, to uh, always work in other collaborative labs or, uh, in on campus or off campus. I think working in a different environment as a mechanical engineer, working in, uh, in a different environment will help us to better understand uh, the different mentality, languages, and also techniques um, we need we need to gain to design our robots. I think the collaboration, the a close and the in interdisciplinary collaboration is the key. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, different groups have different strategies. But I think the for me, the most effective strategy uh, to similarly integration, to similarly integrate with other groups is to co-supervise students. Mm -hmm. Also to take in um, uh, uh, students into my group uh, who has a different background from us. Uh, traditionally, my group uh, mainly include um, mechanical uh, and uh, sometimes electrical engineer students. Um, but uh, recently, we hired a, a few material scientist, uh, material science students, and also we even have a biologist mm -hmm. uh, who is co-supervised by me. I think uh, this co-supervision mechanism will really help a lot in terms yeah. of uh, for me to understand other people's techniques and languages and also for the students uh, to understand uh, to, to have a better collaboration with those groups yeah i agree so if i ask you what is the most interesting project you are going to be involved in soft robotics upcoming project in soft robotics yeah, I think uh, I was very, I'm more excited about this uh, uh, variable soft robotic uh, uh, suit um, mm. for habitation application. Um, in the field, there has been a few examples uh, using soft uh, um, robotic devices uh, for rehabilitation. But uh, for me, this is a new direction we just started. Um, and also because we have some unique uh, uh, materials and also uh, activated designs. We hope we could have a, a better design um, for this uh, forearm rehabilitation uh, application. Um, that's quite exciting to me. And also, we have excellent uh, collaborators on uh, on rehabilitation uh, engineering um, uh, on campus. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, we'll be really at the next direction. Um, I'm very eager to uh, have new results and present them to the community. Mm -hmm. Great. So if I ask you, how, how do you see the progress of soft robotics in the last decade? Uh, progress. Uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit. Um, I kind of witnessed uh, this area from the very beginning mm. uh, when I was postdoc at Harvard, because that's really the kind of the 
the booming, the start of the booming air, uh, time. Mm. But I think we have, uh, as an area, we have developed uh, uh, many uh, uh, basic uh, skills or techniques. For instance, we have uh, uh, developed various uh, kind of uh, uh, amazing materials which we can use uh, to make those uh, soft robots. We have also developed uh, many types of activators or artificial muscles uh, for activation. And also sensing part, uh, there are also many designs. I think all those components and the design scenario, uh, the design principles, we have all of them. And also uh, in terms of bio-inspired or biomimetic design, we have so many amazing examples. I think all those ones are great. Um, I think the past around 12 or 13 years, there's so many advances. I think probably software robotics is one of the most like dynamic and hot area in robotics. But I think looking forward, um, I do hope we can further advance uh, the fundamental understanding of those systems, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. in terms of modeling control and also hopefully like, involving like the uh, intelligent control, like a learning-based control and other approaches. But also, um, I'm also particularly uh, interested in really pushing those uh, prototypes into practical applications to finally uh, make them to be used by the end users, mm. by us, by the society. I think that's really, um, uh, that's really the, the, the direction I want to do. And also I believe that I mean, the whole community are also really looking along a finding an application niche uh, to finally realize the use of the robots for practical applications. Mm -hmm. That's a very yeah. important point about the practical application. And do you think that's, that's an interesting point? Because most of research may be focused in developing technology and others product driven. How do you see these different uh, approaches? Like you have to work in just the technology understanding or just work in a product-driven project? I think there's nothing wrong with either, but um, uh, I think it's different researchers uh, has different focus or interest. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I'm interested in both. But of course, based on the, the stage of the products, uh, we do need to focus on we need to need to kind of uh, tailor like uh, tailor our focus uh, on on different products, but um, I think uh, um, we need uh, efforts from both directions. And uh, to for me, there is no uh, preference on either side. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So here's a question: What what do you think the most mind blowing and scariest of robotics you have ever encountered? In, in your experience, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, I think to me the most mind blowing, but maybe not scary robot uh, was the three <clears> D <throat> printed uh, Octobot from Howard. I think uh, mm. that product was led by uh, uh, like Jennifer Lewis and uh, Rob Wood. Yeah, uh, that's amazing demonstration about how we use uh, advanced manufacturing technologies, three D printing to um, fabricate an integrated system, including energy source, uh, activators, and sensors. That's really amazing. I think that's kind of highlight uh, another angle 
we should try to tackle those soft, uh, try to tackle those soft robotics uh, problems. I think that's uh, super amazing. Once I saw that video. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's scary. You didn't see any something scary and concerning. Scary. It is lovely to me. <laughs> okay. So, so for the future, how how do you, do you interested in predicting the future or not? Because some people again is predicting how soft robotics would be in the future and just focus on the present. Are you with predicting how will be the future of soft robotics? Have you ever imagined that? Do you think it is necessary to consider or not? Uh, I I think uh, it's not maybe not pre prediction, but more like what uh, as a researcher in this area, what I would like to see uh, is to really uh, like enable the society uh, to benefit from our research. Mm -hmm. So I think that's quite related to um, like uh, how we push our designs to be practical. But of course, in order to do that, we do need to first understand the fundamentals of those systems. I think uh, that's what I, I mean, if you ask me like what I would see in the future, um, personally, I would like to see soft robots to be used in hospitals, mm. in homes, uh, in our product lines in the industries. And then that is will be fascinating. If you think about conventional robot robotics area, 10 years ago, I think our community uh, is not at current size. I think it's way more small. It's like a few few times smaller than the current uh, society. But the reason uh, like our society, our general robotics society grow is really because the practical use of all kind of robots in many different areas. Mm -hmm. I think that's a major driving force. I hope this could happen to the soft robotics community as well in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you think about application and industry, do you think there is enough room for uh, soft robotics recently at the market? We have few companies just, but you still, you still think it is enough or we still have to do more investment in industrial sector for soft robotics field? And robotics in general, if you think, if you think. Mm, personally, I believe so. I think uh, there is still there are definitely rooms or spaces uh, for soft robots to be used in, in the industries. I think a one impressive, uh, successful example for me is the Soft Gripper. So uh, the soft robotics company that commercializes uh, mm. those uh, soft grippers. Um, I heard from people, I think they have sell uh, many of those, of those soft grouping systems uh, to food industry, uh, to like, uh, companies requiring uh, repeated pick and place of uh, objects, either fragile or with different shapes. I think that's amazing, but definitely uh, because soft robotic, the soft robots, the design or their morphology, their um, functions uh, are quite different from our conventional robotic systems. I think uh, um, we do need to find the niche, but I believe there are. Uh, but one point I want to raise is uh, uh, like taking the software gripper example as uh, the software gripper uh, product as an example. Uh, I think uh, uh, in, uh, in many cases, uh, we do need to combine our soft robots or soft robotic components with those traditional rigid body robots, mm -hmm. especially industrial applications. I, I think that is um, kind of a, 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 a approach we could further push the use of those soft 
robotic components in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I would like to ask you what makes soft robotics uh, product and in industry successful? Because we have, we also see that there is difference between uh, or a gap between what happened in the lab and an academic research in the paper and what is expected in reality when it comes like make sure it's a reproducible and the lifetime and robust. So all these factors, how do you see the most important thing you have to consider if you would like to transfer the technology or the product of soft robotics you developed from lab to industry and make sure it will be successful? I think that's a very good question. Um, like, uh, uh, um, But pers- first of all, I, I have no experience of uh, uh, technology trans- uh, translation uh, in the area of soft robotics. But uh, just maybe borrow some of my experience uh, for technology transfer uh, of uh, uh, microfluidic diagnostics, mm-hmm. uh, microfluidic diagnostic devices. I think uh, it's quite similar. I think, first of all, um, we do need to find a niche uh, in the market. So uh, what is the specific uh, application we could use uh, our software robotics uh, technologies for i think for a company that's very important about identify the the most promising market uh, also i think uh, pushing our uh, lab technology or, or lab prototypes to a per product is a long run is a long way i think no matter it's medical related or non-medical related mm-hmm. we don't need to solve a lot of downstream engineering problems we may get enough chance or enough time to think about when we first develop our technology. I think that needs a lot lot of efforts uh, at the industrial level. I think those two aspects are the ones uh, I learned uh, from like a transfer of some other non-robotic products, uh, technologies into the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I ask you if you have any current cooperation with academic partner or industry partners, you would like to share with us? Um, as I mentioned, uh, we collaborate in, in academia, we collaborate with many um, groups on material uh, materials, uh, like uh, deep learning and also uh, electronic engineering. Mm-hmm. And also recently we started a uh, uh, collaboration, it's still at a very academic level with a local uh, company on robotic rehabilitation. I think that is uh, uh, a very, uh, new experience to me and also I have learned a lot uh, from those interactions with this company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from your experience, how do you think lay people like your family or friends who are involved in robotics in general think about soft robotics when you speak about your projects, ideas, how do they perceive it? I think that's a very good question. Uh, I had some some experience to introduce those techniques to mm. um, like elementary school and high school students. Um, I think we have to explain those concepts in a quite uh, general and understandable way. So that's why I always use uh, those uh, examples from the uh, uh, scientific fiction uh, movies and mm. films. For instance, the, term- the Terminator, the liquid metal shaped robot uh, in the Terminator series uh, films, mm-hmm. and also most recently the, the Baymax example, which is a, a 
a perfect example to illustrate the soft robotic concept. I think we have to speak a different language, and also we have to highlight um, the the potential connections with the daily life of the public. So mm -hmm. that's my strategy of uh, involving the public in those uh, introducing the public, so those techniques to the public. Yeah, but do you think that because there's lot, some people say that this movie sometimes is kind of hype and people expecting robotics more advanced than they actually are reality? Do you, do you agree with that or? Um, sort of, but I think uh, uh, those science fiction films, um, a lot of times they are very inspiring. And um, we have seen examples in robotics uh, um, kind of following the trend um, or the, 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 the examples of from some early stage science fiction films. For instance, The Fantastic Voyage. Uh, in the 1960s, actually, the film highlight the use of micro robots mm -hmm. uh, in human bloodstream for treating the patient. And that path has been followed actually later by the micro nanorobotics community. So that's why, to me, um, um, those um, science fictions um, are inspiring. And of course, uh, in terms of hype, I think uh, um, the public do expect um, like a more functionalities mm -hmm. for a real robot because of those uh, uh, science fictions. But I think that's also a driving force for us to think more and to realize those expected functions mm -hmm. and then finally uh, like uh, make them more practical to, for use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's like some people concerning that would robots in general would take jobs from people in, in the coming uh, years because we see this is happening. But uh, do you think this argument is true that robots can take people jobs who is not working in, in this robotics tech or or digital market? So do you think this is something worrying to people or it's not something? Uh, it's not for me. First okay. of all, I'm not um, a very, um, I'm not an expert on those um, like a robotic emotion um, type of research, but I, I think I would like to see that uh, it's not scary to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I ask you from where innovation comes from, when you're doing this research of robotics and you come up with ideas, where does innovation come from, do you think, mostly? Where is the motivation come from? Innovation. The innovation. innovation. Uh, for soft robotics? Yeah, designing of coming new ideas. How this innovation come from, do you think, mostly? To be innovative? I, I can only speak uh, for myself. I think um, um, our the, the innovations um, of our research um, has come from both uh, innovations from the materials perspective and also from the design perspective. I think that's, uh, that's for our case, but of course, depend, depending on the product, it could have more sources on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you, do you have any robots at your home? Uh, not 
now. Yeah. Actually, my son is nine years old now. I think he's ready to to take on some robotics products. That's why recently I bought a, a quite low cost 3D printer. Mm -hmm. It's regarded as a manufacturer robots at home in our garage. So we'll do some simple uh, mechanical design and also electronic designs to realize some simple uh, robotic or mechanical systems. I think that's really happening at our home because mm. for, for, for fun and also for some um, like education for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm. as a PGT supervisor, what are the main qualities you're looking for the PGT student? I think that's a very important question. Uh, everybody should ask uh, for themselves um, about the team. I think the, the, the major qualities of my students I'm looking for is the necessary um, experience and expertise uh, in related areas. For instance, in soft robotics, uh, we have hired or we are hiring uh, students from mechanical engineering, material science, mm -hmm. also electrical engineering. I think those many of those three areas. Um, but those are just expertise. But another very important uh, quality is the students should be brave enough to work out of their comfort zone. Mm. So they are to work on a product they have never been working on before. That's the most important quality, I believe, for uh, successful students, because especially for those uh, multidisciplinary uh, research or interdisciplinary research, uh, we, need to, we need to come up new ideas out of the box. Mm -hmm. So. And also with this idea, the students should be able to should be comfortable to work on it, to explore and extend the boundaries of the research. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important like a characteristic mm -hmm. uh, that a student should have in my team. Yeah. And lastly, I would like to ask you what is the best advice was given to you, whether personally or professionally, and what was the life changing for yourself? That's a very good question. Uh, this is actually, um, I think the best advice I have heard from my advisors and mentors is from Dr. Weissize. Um, I still clearly remembered, um, he mentioned to me, you have to work on important and difficult questions. Mm. Uh, at the very beginning, I didn't fully realize what he meant by that. I think uh, actually any of those research questions we can classify them into um, the level of important importance and difficulty. So there are important but easy questions. And there are important and difficult questions. Difficult questions. I think uh, as a researcher, especially uh, at the very earlier stage of our career, um, I have benefited um, from working on challenging questions which has huge potential uh, in terms of uh, impact. Mm. So I think that it will really benefit the group and also the career development. So um, and also, but as a new researcher, a young researcher, uh, I tend to work on some problems which is easy to solve in terms of like uh, productivity. Mm. But uh, long-term wise, I think that will give less benefit uh, for the group and for the uh, for, for my career that's very good advice yeah and we are coming to the end do you have any final words you would like to show soft robotics community uh, 
Uh, I'm very glad and proud to be part of this, and uh, I'm very excited about uh, uh, my research uh, in this area. I think it's uh, is still a, a rising uh, community, and uh, I look forward to interact with other colleagues and uh, to foster possible collaborations, mm-hmm. uh, groups uh, in different areas, from different areas. Thank you. Thanks so much, and at the end podcast, and both IEEE software work to see. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you.